right, so we're starting a new series today. And the series is The Battlefield of the Mind. One of the things that I have noticed in a lifelong lifestyle of ministry, of growing up in the church, growing up under a pastor, uh, leading in the church, is that there is um, there's a marked difference uh, for from people that step across the line of faith. They step into salvation and they never step into victory. Before you were saved, most, well, I don't know. I was saved when I was seven in my living room. So I don't, I mean, you know, what do you, I, I, you know, I didn't do a whole lot of bad things. But before most people came to the knowledge of God, they were hopeless and miserable and alone. Sometimes they didn't even realize they were hopeless, miserable, and alone. And then they come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And now they're just miserable and alone. But they've got hope. <laughs> oh, there's more, folks. See, God is calling us into victory. And we need to, just know, we need to break that roadblock, that, that barrier that keeps Christians, that keeps believers, that keeps our, the, the children of God in constant bondage and constant fear and losing battles. So today we are going to learn practically how to win spiritual battles. We got to get our heads around this thing. We're uh, most of us are saved. If you're not saved, uh, this is a good day to get saved. And I I know from personal experience, just because I'm saved doesn't mean I'm winning. And we need to win. We do. We need to take on an attitude of winning when it comes to the spiritual life, and we can do it. And here's the thing: this is what we're going to learn in this series. The battlefield, the war is raging. There is a war going on in, in spiritual places, in heavenly places, in dimensions and realms that we don't see, that we don't understand. There's players that we don't see or understand, but there's something going on behind the curtain. And the battlefield of this war is right here. It is our mind. The mind is the, is the battlefield for spiritual warfare. And the sooner that we recognize this, the sooner that we understand that the things that are going on, that they are external. Some of them are internal. Some of the things that, that we deal with, are they're our own problem. But here's the thing. When you step across the line of faith, uh, you, you basically you surrender to God. You, become, you get on God's team, but then there's an instant declaration of war for your soul because the enemy of God wants to make you depressed. You're saved. You're going to heaven. And so the only strategies he's got is make you depressed, get you discouraged, get you beating yourself up, get you thinking about things that are not good, that are not healthy. And the enemy of God, I hate to even give him any glory. We're going to be talking a lot about the devil today, and I hate to do that. But the enemy of God is a master at deceit. The devil is the father of what? He is the father of lies. He's really good at it. It's like politicians. How do you know if a politician is lying? He's moving his lips, right? And the enemy of God is the same. He just, everything he says is a, is a lie. It's a manipulation of truth. It's a distortion of God's goodness. And we've got to be mindful of his schemes and his abilities to get us derailed and to get us beating ourselves up. Hello. Yes, Jesus. 
All right, so here's our scripture. One of the things that we are going to learn in, uh, in, in renewing our minds and capturing every thought is scripture and memorization. So here's our verse. This is the verse for the week. Like, like we're going to get the word of God inside of us. Like you got to get it. In order to win, you need the Word of God and nothing else. So here's our scripture for today. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5. Our weapons are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we hold captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is what we need to get inside of our heads. The weapons that we wage war with, they are not physical weapons. They're spiritual weapons for the destruction and the demolishing of strongholds. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today. What in the world is a stronghold? The first thing a stronghold is, it is anything, any thought, any imagination, any image that pops into your head, any negative emotion that is not from the Lord, anything that, that might even seem to attack the character or the nature of God, that maybe even diminish just a little bit of the goodness of God. That is a stronghold. The very perception that you might even have of yourself. The, if you view yourself anything less than a child of God, anything less than loved by a heavenly father. If it is constant guilt, constant shame, constant uh, condemnation. That is a stronghold of the enemy. It's super complicated. Because the enemy might have been setting up strongholds in your mind before you were even saved. It can go back to your childhood. Some of us have strongholds of abuse or violence, or there was some traumatic moment that, that, that was a defining moment that was a, it has messed up the whole trajectory of our life. And, it, 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 and it's just so strong that we can't let go of it, even though that we've been saved, even though that we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But some, for some strange reason, and when you, whenever you're down in the dumps, it's like the splinter in the back of your mind that defaults to that negative thing that happened when you were a kid. And it's a stronghold. The definition of a stronghold is it's as if it's a fortress. It's a, it's a castle. It is something that cannot be overcome unless it's starved out. Unless it's completely demolished by the Word of God. So we got all our little cool chess pieces up here, but think about your mind as this battlefield. It is, the, it is a field. It is, it is the board. It is the chessboard. And the, the enemy of God has been placing his pieces on your mind. He's been doing it for as long as he has the chance. Each and every opportunity that the enemy of God has to place a piece on your board, he will take advantage of that. The stronghold is the castle. Just think of it this way. 
So on the, on the chessboard, the rook is the second most powerful piece next to the queen. This sucker is the bad boy of the chess. It is powerful, and it moves extremely fast. And if you're not aware where these things are at, they'll get you each and every time. So think about the enemy of God building a castle of negativity in your mind. Don't you want to destroy it? Let's starve it out. One of the only ways that we can destroy fortresses and strongholds is that we starve them out. You know, all the bad guys, all the French people. Uh, I just saw Monty Python. So, okay, think about Monty Python. Remember Monty Python and the annoying French people? They were mocking the English people. Again, they were in their fortress. I should have got a video clip for this one. All right, how about next week? Um, they're in their fortress, and they're like mocking the, the, you know, the God's chosen people that are finding the Holy Grail, and they're, it's really funny. <laughs> I mean, making all kinds of rude gestures, and, and you can't get in. And the enemy's going to dump gross stuff on you. They're going to slime you from the top, pour boiling oil on you, mock you, make fun of you. And the only way that you can destroy a stronghold is you starve them out. But most of the time, we're not starving strongholds out in our mind. We're feeding them. We are supplying their needs. Each and every time we entertain a thought of the enemy of God, we actually supply that castle with food and water and sustenance to keep it strong inside of our minds. And so we have to stop. We have to stop entertaining the thoughts of the devil. He's really good at it. He's a really good liar. He's going to tell you what is easy. He's going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. He's going to play, um, he's going to play victim to your, your insecurities and your desires and your fears. And he gets you at the most opportune times that you could possibly imagine. So we have to destroy him. And the good news is that we can. It all goes back to the Word of God. I've got a quick little illustration, and hopefully this will help you understand it. We know that the Word of God is, is it's the weapon that destroys the strongholds. I did a wedding last night uh, at Descanso Gardens. It was so pretty. You should have been there. Um, but you're not bougie enough to go there. Anyway. <laughs> Come on, i got to lighten this thing up, right? Anyway. Um, one of the, you know, usually when you hear a, a, a you know, a preacher do a wedding, sometimes he'll, he'll do the Jesus's first miracle. So Jesus's first miracle was, was at a wedding where he turned the water into wine so that they could have a fun party. And so we w- will say that that is Jesus's first miracle. I actually, I argue with that one a little bit. Like there chronologically, it, it might not be like there's I don't know I there's theologians that debate whether that might have been the first one or not, but the Bible, your Bible might say that this is Jesus's first miracle. We'll stick with that. But here's what we do know about it: like Jesus didn't want to do that one. Like in Jesus's mind, that wasn't supposed to be his first miracle. The only reason why that was his first miracle is that his mom made him. 
That's why it's the first miracle. So basically, it's just a parlor trick to make his mom happy and give Jesus a little bit of glory. But that wasn't the first one. The first real drag-out, knock-down miracle, this is called kingdom warfare. The first time we see a display of Jesus fighting evil takes place. You ready for this? It takes place in church. Jesus goes to the temple, and he's on, he, he's on the field. He's on the... Like, it, like, literally, he's on the court. And there's a big, giant, open court area. And he's beginning to... He's be, his, his very presence is messing everything up in spiritual realms. Like... Ready for this? Like, there's evil forces in church. They're, the enemy of God is so sneaky and he lies and he preys upon your emotions and your insecurities. And if we're not careful, the enemy of God has very sneaky ways of infiltrating the church. Because he wants to destroy it from the inside out. If you don't believe me, just look at the social situations that are going on inside of the Church of America today. It's terrifying. Our founders would be rolling around in our grave. Um, our Methodist founders would be freaking out right now knowing what we've done with the church. Because the enemy of God has infiltrated it. Whitfield's turning around in his grave right now if he knows what, what we've done to the Methodist church. Jesus walks onto that court, onto that big giant slab of granite. And he's confronted by an individual that is full-blown possessed with the devil. Like the stuff you see on those horror movies. Full-blown demon possession. And he's like, no, no, no. The enemy of God's like, no, no, no. I have infiltrated this temple it's mine. It belongs to me. They belong to me. You, Jesus, you get out of here because they belong to me. That's what's going on. Like, this is like, like, I don't know, like, this is a war. This is like Kung Fu knockout time. And the amazing thing that Jesus does when he's confronted by this demonic spirit, this first miracle, he casts that sucker out in half of a second with a word. The word is shut up, but it's only one word, not two words. It's some, you know, Aramaic word that I, I don't remember. But he just like, in a moment, he says, shut up. And the way that it comes across is that you've got the two fighting here. And even though they're just standing there, like there is spiritual swords that are going back and forth. And it's almost as if God's spirit is coming out of Jesus and he grabs the evil spirit by the neck. This is what the shut up is like a choke. And he chokes it for, chokes the life out of that, that evil spirit and makes it stop talking. It has no more voice, and it's done with the word, and it's done with Jesus' word. And this is like my favorite type of deliverance. When we talk about deliverance, like, like, you know, it's casting evil spirits out of people. I've done it. I'm not too bad at it. 
Other times I've been worked over a few times, but I'm actually pretty good at it. Why? Because I know that we can get it with a word. I know that the best deliverance model is not what you see in the horror movies with the rosaries and the crosses burning on foreheads and all that kind of stuff. No, it's the word of God that delivers people from, from darkness with one word. And you can do this too. You can dispel and cast out all evil from your lives with the word of God. And the spiritually mature believer, the spiritually mature person that has girded themselves up with the word of truth can learn how to do it like Jesus does it. Unfortunately, most of us, again, we are too lonely and too miserable and too defeated to defeat the devil with the word. And we've got to get stronger at it. There is a strengthening, there's a strengthening of ourselves that must take place in order for us to battle like Jesus did. And here's the great thing is that Jesus wants us to. Jesus actually said, you will do these things that I have done. And this is, this is where you see the heart of a father. He says, in fact, you're going to do greater things than I have done. You're going to continue to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. It is your assignment. It is your warfare. And so how do we do it? How do we knock over these strongholds in our mind with the word of God? And again, how does the enemy get our strongholds? So we're going to look at a couple of verses. We're probably going to burn through a lot of scripture today if I've got time. But I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And then uh, put an envelope or put your finger in Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's in the Old Testament. Now, one of the things that we're going to learn when we are thinking about what we're thinking about, when we're, when we're putting our attention on spiritual things, the battlefield of this mind, is that we will see the enemy and his schemes. And you see it right here with Jesus. Jesus was not immune to the enemy's schemes and lies. And this is how the enemy of God comes. And I want to make you aware of it. Number one. Here, okay, read chapter four, verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Okay, this is really great news for you. So Jesus is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to be led into the desert to be tempted. Like the Holy Spirit will lead you into difficult situations, into dry and desolate and arid environments in order to test you. Holy Spirit does it. He's going to see what you're made of. How strong are you? Have you you strengthened yourself in the Lord in these things? So, have you ever been jacked up by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever felt the peace of God that transcends all understanding and you know that there's just something stirring in in your spirit and he's like, yes. You float out of church on cloud nine, filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I like this is how we should live. If you haven't been filled or baptized in the spirit, it's different than getting saved. You need it. You need to be baptized in the Spirit. You need to be baptized in water. You need to be, like, you need it however you get it. Acts tells us it happens more than once. I've been baptized and filled with the Spirit more than once, and I want more. 
because I, I need God's power. I didn't get into this gig to be a, a social justice pastor warrior type person. No, I got into this gig because I believe that God is, I believe that Jesus is going to give his church, his bride power. That's what the word of God says. I don't just do weddings and funerals. No, I function inside of the kingdom of heaven where God gives his church power. So, when you get saved, you are no longer at war with God. You're at war with the devil. And when you get baptized in the Spirit, you are equipped to begin to unhinge the gates of hell. You don't like that. He doesn't like it at all. And so when Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, guess who comes after him? The devil does. Because he doesn't like that empowerment. And he doesn't like it for you. So if you've had an encounter with God, if you had a moving moment, if you had an experience of the Holy Spirit, and you're just like, dang, I can do anything. And then you go out in the world the next day, and the enemy of God eats your lunch. It's not coincidence. It's strategy because the enemy of God does not want empowered believers. He wants us depressed. He wants us weak. He wants us doing all kinds of things that we shouldn't be doing. And as long as he keeps us there in the miserable state, then he's, then he's winning and we're losing. We're still going to heaven. We're just going to heaven as losers. <laughs> it's made that up. <laughs> all right, let's keep reading. Verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. Okay, so automatically, Jesus is filled with the Spirit. It's on. The enemy of God's after him because he's filled with this. He's empowered. Second thing that the enemy of God does, he's going to do this to you. He's done it to me. He's already done it to you. This is his strategy. How long has Jesus been in this desert? 40 days without food or water. I don't care if he is the son of God. The dude's tired. And he's clearly hungry. He is God in the flesh. But this is, he is in you know, this, this meat sickle thing. And it's tired. His body's tired. His puppet is tired. And if the enemy of God is going to use that strategy to get Jesus, I guarantee you he's going to use it to get you. And the most opportune time that the enemy of God can start moving pieces around, moving chess pieces around on your brain is when you're tired. When you're discouraged. There's fatigue that's going on that Jesus is dealing with. But there's also the desires of the flesh. Did you catch that? So he's hungry. So the enemy of God is, is playing into the weakness of the human flesh itself. Oh, you're hungry? Well, you know that you can just make bread yourself. And we're no different. Okay, most of us aren't hungry. I'm starting to get hungry right now. But honestly, as an American, hunger is probably the last thing that, that the enemy of God's going to use me to tempt me. No, I got other things. They're all on my phone. 
I have all those things on my phone that are tempting me. In a moment of weakness, I'm a click away from sin. Right? Do you see how powerful that strategy is? Wow. That devil's a smart guy. He knows how to play to our weaknesses. How does Jesus respond? Man does not live by bread alone. And that's what the word of God says. So, immediately, when you're tired and you're tempted, when you're tired and you at least want to think some negative thoughts, when you're, when you're, you know, your desires are all out of whack and you want to sin, you have a split moment to recite the word of God and defeat the enemy. You have that split moment to capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ. And as soon as you entertain the thought, guess what? The peace moves up and you've lost the battle. It only takes an, it only takes an entertainment. Jesus is so annoying at times. He says, all you've got to do is think about sin, and guess what? You've done it. Really? It's like, oh, yeah. Like what actually goes on in this brain is just as important as what you actually live out in real life. I mean, if you're thinking and imagining evil things, Jesus says it's just as bad as you're just murdering somebody. So you might as well just murder him. Like, no. But, but I mean, that's how important it is to Jesus. The, 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 what's going on in our brains. Okay. The devil led him up to a high place and he showed him uh, in an instant the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you... I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I give it to anyone whom I want. Again, he's lying right now. Did you guys catch that? Sounds good, but it's not true. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and you serve him only. He's like putting the guy on notice. So this is what, uh, again, this is what the enemy of God does when he comes after you. He's going to go after, he's going to go after you because you're empowered. He's going to go after you when you get weak and when you fall, you know, when, you're, when your fleshly desires aren't under control. And he's actually going to go after your identity too. And he says, this is who I am. He's going to go, he's going to offer you, he's going to offer you the easy route. He's going he's gonna to say, you can, do it, you can do it easier and you can do it faster if you just do it my way and not God's way. So he plays to those uh, devices too. Verse 9, The devil led him to, the Jerus- to led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Then they will lift you up in their hands, and so that you will not strike your heel, your foot against a stone. So the enemy of God is now using Scripture. Interesting, right? You pay, put that in your little mental brain right there. The enemy of God will, you, will manipulate Scripture. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put your Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all these tempting things, he left him until the opportune time. Now, Goes after his identity. He says, look, you know, you, you, I'll give you some scripture. It's going to sound real good. And he says, don't put your God to the test. 
He says, look, this is who I am. You are talking. You are trying to tempt God himself. Do you see that? See how huge that is? So we get to do the same thing. Whenever we are offered the things of this world that are so tempting, whenever we are, whenever there's this difficulty and tension and negativity, specifically when it comes in the area of attack of our identity, like we can't say that we're God like Jesus did, but we can say, no, I am a child of God. And so therefore, hands off. This is what I want you to get. Like, if we're at least mindful that the enemy of God is going to rush in when we're weak, at least we know it's going to happen. Does that give you any comfort at all? I mean, it should. When you are weak, Bible says he is strong. God is strong. But when you are weak, the enemy is like, I want to take advantage of that. And we need to allow God to be strong when we are weak. He's going to come at you when you're weak. Okay, you ready for this? All right, hang on to your chairs. Not only will the enemy of God try to get you to fall when you're weak, he will also use you. And he's really good at it. When you are weak, the enemy of God will use you to hurt somebody else. He's very good at this at the church. We need to be honest with ourselves when we are in the moment of weakness and frustration. And I don't know, let's just pretend like you don't like somebody. Is anybody in here don't like anything? You know, it's just people. I know that everybody's okay and everybody, yeah, right? You don't hold any harbor, any bitterness or resentment towards anybody. I know. Um, But let's just say that you did and that you are, you're sleep deprived. You know, you're taking some medication that's not good for you. Uh, You're, there's some, there's tension at work and you're you're just a little lopsided and you know, your, your health isn't that great and you're a little sluggish and yet you're saved. Right? And that person that annoys you, it's as if I'm talking from experience. And, and that, that person that annoys you comes to you. I would say probably the mature Christian should be smart enough to know that you're not in a good place to share. And you need to, you need to bless them and walk away. Because if you don't, You'll do what the enemy of God did, and you'll use Scripture to hurt somebody else. There's been way too many times when we use the Bible to beat people up when we should be using it to bless and encourage them. Don't let the enemy use you. Don't be a tool for the devil. Don't be a tool. Just be a Christian. I just made that one up too. I'm sorry. I should stick to my notes, huh? (laughs) Pastor Josh says, don't be a tool. (laughs) Our weapons, John 3, uh, John 8, 3. The Jews who had believed in Jesus, believed in him, Jesus said, uh, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Truth is your tool. The true word of God is, is your weapon. Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is 
alive and it is active and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. So God's word inside of us is sharper than any double-edged sword. So as soon as we are tempted, as soon as we are given a thought to, to, to dwell on or to imagine, to entertain a thought, we have to use this, this word of God that's sharper than any double-edged sword because it penetrates and it divides soul, spirit, joint, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart instantly. Let me get to this one. Let's go to the Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. The Word of God is our weapon, and we get to practice or use this weapon in a lot of different forms. The Word of God. We just read is a sword. I think it could also be some nunchucks, some bow staff, machine gun, atomic bomb. The Word of God is really that powerful, and it meets an each specific need. We receive the Word of God. Hopefully, you receive it when you are reading your Bible. This is the objective Word of God. It's all right here. It's, it's amazing. The book is actually brilliant. It, it is. If you're ever annoyed with the Bible, like just take some time and look at it holistically. Like It shouldn't exist. It's really that amazing. So we begin to read the Word of God. For some of us, you know, you're not readers, but you're auditory learners. You can get you know, Bible Gateway and you can listen to the thing. You get it inside of you that way. Each and every day, get that Word of God inside of you. Even other books, like the, you know, the Joyce Meyer books, Battlefield of the Mind. Although that book is not Scripture, I think that book is divine. Like, like, like she wrote that through the Holy Spirit. Because it's for, it meets our specific context. It would not have fit in the first century. It fits now. It fits, it fits here. And so we can actually get the Word of God through those types of other sources as well. You get the word through preaching and teaching. I want to encourage you, find other preachers that you like, listen to them, you know, eat them up, rip them off. You can actually do that, by the way. You can steal other stuff. I do it all the time. But usually most pastors are ripping my stuff off, right? Um, And you get it by singing and worshiping. Now, you thought that my sermon was the most important thing to Sunday morning. It's not. It's that 15, 20 minutes that we take part in before the sermon. Because worship is warfare. This is teaching preaching time. But when we worship, we go to war. Praise is power. This is the, the, the... you know, entering into this place with praise, thanksgiving, turning our attention to the glory of God, and even in the midst of our, our darkest moments, even, the, even in the midst of the most hard, painful situations that we're going through, when even when you don't feel like it, worship God. 
One time I was going through, one time, this was like a couple of weeks ago, I was going through a difficult time. I was having a hard time with stuff. And I wanted some answers. And somebody close to me says, you need to worship and praise him. I'm like, oh, shut up. I don't want to do that. Right? It's so simple. It's so practical. It's so divinely spiritual, and yet we, we don't do it. I don't know. We think that if we, get it, we fill out our, 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 you know, our notes, then we can have some victory. And that's not where victory takes place. Victory takes place in heavenly places when we go to war with praise and worship. Worship is warfare. Uh, whenever Judah went to war, they sent the worshipers first. Change things in spiritual realms. This is what we need to get. We are fighting battles. Some of you are fighting like really practical battles. You're fighting battles at work. You're fighting battles in your relationships. You're fighting financial battles. You're fighting this battle of your mind where you just can't get the negative thoughts out. And the only way that we can get them out is by praise and worship. That's the only way that we win. All right, let's get to the Chronicles verse. This is such a cool story. I love this. Verse 17, chapter 20, verse 17. Will you not, uh, you will not have to fight this battle. Amen? Like, we gotta take, we gotta take responsibility. We are there in the midst. We're in the trenches. Some of us need to get out of the trenches. It says, but we will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. See it before it happens. In advance, see the deliverance. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Something that gets repeated all throughout Scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. How do you feel about that one? Can you go out tomorrow and face them? Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat, fancy king with a terrible name, Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, they fell down in worship before the Lord. So he took this posture of praise. He took this posture of worship. He was a good leader. Then some of the Levites from Korathite and the Korahites stood up and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left the desert of Tekoa and they sent out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and he will upheld. He will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Seir to destroy and annihilate them. 
After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. The men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, and they looked toward the vast army they had saw, and they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. This is what God does. This is one of the promises God does for us when we worship and we praise he fights our battles for us. Did you see what happened? There were three armies set against God's people. And when they began to sing, when they began to worship, when they took even a physical posture of praise and worship, something began to change in heavenly realms that we don't see. And it activated something in the natural realm where the enemy of God, they actually killed each other. And God's people walking in and they didn't even have to pull their swords out. Why? Because the weapons that we use are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument against God. We demolish every pretension, every mockery, every high and lifted lofty thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish every negative thought that comes in and begins to take root and to build a castle inside of our mind. We demolish them all. And we have to, we have to, we have to. We have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. Each and every day, each and every moment. And, oh my God, I mean that, I don't mean that flippantly. My God, it is so hard to do. It is so hard to do, brothers and sisters. I, I have been warring all week in my mind. I've had things pop into my mind. It's like, okay, that was me. I shouldn't think that. I've had other things that pop into my mind. It's like, oh my gosh, where'd that come from? Where did that evil thing come from? Do I entertain it or do I cast it out? Do you, do you see how hard this is? It is so difficult. Look, and I understand the world. I've had thoughts that I should not have had these past couple of weeks. My daughter, the little Taekwondo ninja athlete, like just, you know, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I don't know what, we don't know what's going on. She's got some weird autoimmune disease thing and both her arms and legs quit working. She's regained the use of her arms, but she's still in a wheelchair. So put your head around that one. I mean, I've, I've prayed for people and I've pulled them out of wheelchair, out of a wheelchair through the power of the Holy Spirit where God healed them. And yet my daughter's in a wheelchair. How do you get your head around this? I don't know, but I just know that God's good. And I have to capture every single thought that's going to come in and raise itself up against the knowledge and the goodness of God. So I can't go there. I have to believe that God is good, despite what my experiences is telling my soul and my heart. You've got to know that your heart's desperately wicked, folks. It's going to take every heartache, every difficulty in life, and the enemy of God is going to lie about it. He's going to distort it. He's going to manipulate it to keep control of your mind and to make his castles bigger. You see that? All right. Let me get the band that's just coming to the front.
Uh, join us tonight, presence night, six o'clock. Have a good time. If you need that breakthrough. If you need to win in spiritual places, praise and worship. It is the most important part of your week, despite how amazing my sermons are. It really is. I can't, I can't do my week without it. Sometimes I need more. Sometimes I try and praise and worship by myself, but that's kind of painful because... Like I'm tone deaf and stuff, and I have no rhythm. So I need, I need worshipers. <laughs> but they're here for you. And I want to encourage you just to continue to press on in to God's presence and worship Him with all of your heart and all of your strength and all of your mind. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that He has given us a hope It is the hope of salvation, the eternal hope of being in his glory. But now, God, we ask you, we plead and we pray your word and we ask you for victory over our lives. We don't want to be alone, miserable Christians anymore. We want to be Christians that have that hope and have that victory and have that community and have that relationship. So give us that and gird us up teach us the abilities to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.